The theme for 2020 is shift. Everybody say shift. I want to talk about money. Uh, I want to talk about money because money is sensitive. I want to talk about money because pastors don't like to talk about money. Uh, because when pastors talk about money, then people will say that this church always talk about money. It is so, you know, this church is so money-minded. But the truth of the matter is this. Money, it's one of those subjects that we talk about all the time. How many of you are going to speak the truth and raise your hand? All right, if you, if you go to a gathering, you go to a pub or you're having a drink with a friend, we, we talk about money. We talk about how to increase our investment. We, we talk about what money can buy. We, we indirectly slipped in. In our conversation, oh yeah, uh, I, I just went to Greece for lunch and it was great. I, I came back and uh, it was awesome. And, and we, we send those signals. It's Chinese New Year. And it is classmates reunion time. And your classmate that you have not seen for a while rocked up in a new BMW. Eh? Last year was three. Yeah, kind of like small, you know, family expanded, got myself a seven. Like, wow. And, and you know the vibe is being sent out. You know, everyone is sending signals and people are talking about where they went for holidays, their watches have changed, hopefully their wives have not. And, and people talk about money, right? Uh, I want you to know, it can be a topic that inspires. When people try to help you with your investment and tell you where should you buy your next house or your next project or whatever it may be. Or it can be a subject of jealousy that breeds jealousy. Uh, you see someone uh, came to church or somebody went to school, especially they're in college, came in a nice car, then secretly in our heart, we are like, hold me, father's coward. You know, you know that kind of thing? It, it can breed jealousy, right? It can be fun or it can be humbling. The talk about money, it gives us confidence. Of course, when you do well, you, you want to upgrade yourself. You want, to have a, you want to show a sense of achievements, but the lack of it, of course, pulls us to the opposite direction. In Malaysia, financial dispute is one of the top five reasons for divorce. A lot of people think marriages break apart because they don't love each other anymore, things are not working out anymore. But actually, one of the top five, if not the main reasons for marriages to end in Malaysia it's caused by the inability to manage their finances well. I, I counsel couples together with my wife, and, and sometimes you hear comments. I, I don't understand my wife. La. She's so money-minded. We go, why so materialistic? So if you hear comments from one side, you kind of like, yeah, why? Then my wife would spend time with the wives and talk to them and say, Pastor, I, I, I have married him and I'm not working. Every month, I depend on my husband to provide for our family, for our kids. He's my security. Then when you realize that, hey, actually, she's not being money-minded. She's just needing that security. And, and if husband and wives, in 2020, this year, if you are married and you don't talk about how you're planning to spend your money, it's going to be a rough ride no matter what. It is not tough times that break marriages but it is the inability to articulate how we want to use our money that is the biggest problem. In the UK, all right, in 2018, money worries are the biggest reasons for marriage ending. People worry and think about money. And then we hear a statement, 
And that's where people get really scared to come to church because they were okay. They were fine before this. When they come to church, suddenly they hear things like, oh, money is the root of all evil. And we actually believe that money is the root of all evil. And so we talk about money, therefore, from Monday to Saturday, when we come to church, we don't talk about money. Because if we talk about money, then money is the root of all evil, then I'm evil. So I don't want to talk about money. So when I come to church, I want to talk about serving God. I want to talk about worshipping. But it, this is... The fact of the matter is this. If I am the pastor of the church, yeah, if I'm the spiritual authority of the church, and I'm the spiritual father of the church, if I do not teach you how to manage money, and you are in debt, you are spending more than you're earning, your credit card bills are piled up, you get more follow-up from the banks than from the church, I want you to know it... You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? The bank are more consistent in giving you a wake-up call than the church or the Holy Spirit. I want you to know if I am known as a pastor that always talk about money, but I'm teaching you how to manage your money, I want to be known as a person that teach you how to manage your money well. The truth is, we, in all that we do every day, money is a big part of our lives. Like it or not, it is a subject that we cannot shun. Rather than avoiding it, why don't in 2020 we shift and learn to manage our money with godly wisdom? Everyone say, are you with me? So as we shift, I want to encourage us how to live a life that is larger than ourselves. That you do not just live a life around you, about you, about your family, about your kids, but to live a life that you can expand yourself and you can expand your world. And in the Bible, but Jesus said just now, in the New Testament, 30% of all the parables about money. And money matters, or subjects on money, it's a crucial thing. Perhaps Jesus wanted to keep talking about it because money was something that was always in their mind, or money, Jesus knew that if we do not use money for greater good, money will use us and reduce us to nothing. If we do not use money to achieve greater goods, then perhaps Jesus know that money can use us and reduce us to nothing. Turn with me to the scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to verse 10. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to verse 10. But the Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me take this time to just explain to you what is the difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment is that you are happy at every stage of your life, but you are ready to move when God speaks to you. Are you with me? When God say move, I'm, com I'm complete, I'm, I'm contented, I'm happy at where I am, but when God speaks, I move. Complacency is the same. You are happy at where you are, but even if God calls me, I'm not moving. Are you with me? So that's the difference between contentment and complacency. And then it says here, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, how many of you have food and clothing today? Nobody come to church naked, okay? We will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is not something written last week. 
This is not something written to prepare you for 2020. This was something that was written 2,000 years ago. And then it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it is not money, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let me qualify this this morning. It is not money, but the love for money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Why? Because if money is your love, money is your first love, money is your assurance, money is your trust, money is where all your confidence comes from, it goes on to tell you that money is the core of your life. If money is the core of your life and it is not God, then God is being reduced to a place that is no longer the center of all that you are and all that you do. And so if money and not God and not Jesus that is the center of our lives, then self-centeredness becomes something that we accidentally or indirectly pursue. Oh, it's about me. Oh, it's about my bank account. It's about the safety of my investment. But if Christ is at the core of our lives, then selflessness is what we aspire to live. And you're like, wait a minute, Mr. Pastor. What, what is selflessness in the world that we live in today? What do you mean by being selfless? I want you to know being selfless doesn't mean you don't care about yourself. Being selfless doesn't mean you don't put up, you don't have savings in your bank account. Being selfless means that you do not only just live for yourself, you begin to consider the needs of others. And it's very interesting here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, because every time we, we read verse 6 to verse 10, and we reach the part where, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, we miss the point. The point is not that verse. The point is actually found in a verse earlier. It says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into the world. And so we all know this. Naked, we come to this world, and naked, we will leave. Empty, we come in this world, naked, uh, empty, we will leave. And so if I'm going to come into this world with nothing, and I'm going to leave this world with nothing in possession. You, you can put your favorite stuff in the coffin when you die, but you know you're not going to get it. Are you with me or not? It will rust, it will destroy. And so if empty I come to this world and empty I will live, naked I come to this world and naked I will live, then my life will be defined by the two nakedness. Are you guys with me? My life will be defined by the space of the two emptiness between here and here. Since I don't bring anything here, and since I can't bring anything with me other than the God who loves me, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to give me the gift of eternal life, then my life here on earth is pretty much determined by how I live from this nakedness to this nakedness, from this emptiness to this emptiness. So it is a question of how I live my life. It's a question of how I use all the resources that have been entrusted to me so that I live this in-between two nakedness meaningfully. Are you with me this morning? So we got to understand and we got to always be reminded 
that this is what we are doing. I know there are a lot of men in our church, a lot of fathers. You know, you know, no father would start off their lives and say, oh, I want to earn all the money I can and destroy my family. Nobody. Nobody's like that. Sam, Sam's here. He's a dad. I'm a father. Dr. Andrew is a father. Kiwi is a father. But G is a father. Boone is a father. Okay, that's right. Acknowledge Boone a bit. No fathers will, you know what? I, I want to earn so much money so that my family is destroyed. Nobody. Fathers want to work hard, earn money, send their kids to school, give them a better life. But it is very often in pursuing those things that we begin to miss out the bigger picture and the actual picture, the actual picture that is providing for their families. Are you all with me? And so Paul says, because of the people's love for money and the desire to fulfill what they wanted, they've wandered from the very faith, the very faith that gives them purpose and meaning in life found in Jesus and then caused them to pierce themselves with many griefs. Self-satisfaction or self-fulfillment always leads to grief. I want you to go with me now to Proverbs chapter 3. This is going to be a very fundamental passage in the Bible that will help us as we start this new year. It says here, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. So, you are reminded now, to not forget the teaching of God and keep God's command in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. I want you to know, to keep God's commandment is not a torture. To keep God's commandment is not a punishment. But instead, the Bible is telling us that when you keep God's commandment, three things will happen in your life. Number one, your life will be prolonged. Number two, you have peace. Number three, you have prosperity. And then it says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Let love and faithfulness be the story of your life. Then, the Bible says, everybody say then. Oh, come on. Everybody say then. Then, the Bible says, you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and men. I talked about favor last week. And my, my idea of favor with God and with men, it's very simple. Build your character according to the Word of God. And if you want to find favor with men tomorrow, when you go to work, Tomorrow, when you go back to your university, go back to your colleges, be early. I want you to know I've not seen a boss. I've not seen the owner of a business company that celebrate their staff coming to work late. You want to be favored by your boss? Go to work. Can you respond as good as I'm preaching? Go to work. What happened to all the visible support and who are last week? All right. Are you guys with me or not? And, and so the Bible is saying that it is equally important that you find favor with God and with men. Some, some people, you know what? I just need to find favor with God. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, doesn't matter. Only Sunday, early to church, on fire, serving God, on stage, doing everything. But on Monday to Saturday, no trace of Christianity. He said, because ah, it's not important. It only matters if I find favor with God. I want you to know it doesn't work. It doesn't work if you only find favor with God. You got to have favor with God and with man and to achieve that. Hey, by the way, nah. Light is so off. Are we okay? 
I want you to know, to achieve that, you got to find favor with both God and with both men. Number five, verse five. And then it says this, I, I talked about this before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your paths straight. Verse seven, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Maybe you should cancel your gym membership now. Because it doesn't say go to gym and health to your body. I'm just kidding, okay. Verse 9, verse 9. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. A very good rule of life is this. Trust always happens first before honour. Trust God first. Then you honour God. It is not honour God and then hopefully you'll find some trust. No. Learn to trust in God. And then you honour God. And the Bible says, honour God with all your wealth and with the first fruits of your, all your increase. So whether you agree or not, even though as a church we do not teach prosperity gospel, the truth of the matter is this, that every time you honour God with what you have, the Lord will always bless you. Are you with me? It says, then, then your barns will be filled to the overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Are you with me? Another, another, very, another passage that people always use when it comes to offering is Malachi chapter 3. It says, bring all your tithes into the storehouse, God says. And test me now in this, God says, if I will not pour out for you the floodgates of heaven, that you have not room enough to receive all of them. Oh, and so we think, yeah, right. If I give my tithe to God, then God say, test me. God say, test me and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven for all of us. I want you to know, if you become a Christian, and the reason you become a Christian is so that God can give you more money, I want you to know you got into the wrong faith. Are you with me or not? If, if God is a God, just want to give you stuff. What kind of a God that is? I don't want to have a God that only give me stuff. But then why, Pastor? You tell me why. I don't want to disagree with God, but you tell me why. Why Proverbs 3? Every time I honor God, God will fill me to the overflowing. Malachi chapter 3. Why every time it happens, God pour out blessings so much from heaven that I cannot even contain it. I want you to know the fact that the bonds will be overflowing, the vats will be brimming over, and that God will open the floodgates of heaven, that you will not have room enough to receive them. It is because when God turns up, all this happens. The Bible says when you honour God, the word honour is the word kabod, which is the, the word weight. If you put a whole weight on a barn, the barn will overflow. Are you with me? If you put a whole weight onto a vat, onto a drum where all your wine are, it will be brimming over. That when God appears, it is very natural that things will be overflowing. I just want to ask you a question. How many of you Malaysian, Malaysian, okay? Uh, foreigners as well, actually, sorry. How many of you during Hari Raya have actually visited our beloved Agong? Okay, one more time, one more time, okay? How many of you, uh, during Hari Raya season, in all these past years, have actually went to the palace and uh, 
during the open house of the Agong, you actually went to to pay respect to the king. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Collective, this year, let's go to the palace. Amen. Are you all with me? Let's go to the palace. Maybe some of you, you're being you're humble. But can you imagine, right? You imagine, you go to the palace, and then you, you queue the whole day, and then you finally went your, your turn. But you are, you are visitor, Malaysian citizen, visitor number 5,968. Oh, the, the, I don't know what, palace guard. Oh, I am so sorry. Because you are 5,968, uh, we just finished the last packet of Hari Raya food. Because we finished at 5,967, too bad. Just come and celebrate, okay, no food. How, how is it possible that you will go and visit a king and the king has no food? But the problem is this, that when you meet the king, uh, by the way, in our service yesterday, uh, there's a lady who used to be a very close friend to our previous, previous Agong, that the one that's from Kedah, and she, she will tell me, I say, oh, auntie, Saturday afternoon, I'm in Chesla. Where you go? Oh, yesterday, I went to Istana and have afternoon tea with the king. <laughs> you win already, no need to talk already. What's the point, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, he always, he's a very nice gentleman. He always invites us to the palace. The thing is this, when God appears, the blessings are secondary. Are you all with me? It is the God that you want to encounter. Can you imagine you're really having that afternoon tea with the king or the queen? If I, for whatever reason, end up in Buckingham Palace and I'm sitting in front of the queen, I'm not going to ask her how, how many diamonds she has, how many rubies in your collection. I just want to see her. Very often, we as Christians, that the utmost priority is to discover God. But then we are more concerned about what God can give us. And that's why we miss the point. And that is why when you look at all these verses, you only see the money part. You always see the blessing part. But you miss out the biggest and the most important part. And that is God. And by the way, if you ever have a vet, a vet is like a drum, la, drum, drum tong. Vet is like a high English, so nobody knows what's a vet. Vet is a drum, okay? If you have a vet, that you have been keeping this wine for a very long time. I don't know. Maybe you're a distillery guy and you're this whiskey in a, in, a, in a vat for many, many years. One day, out of nowhere, God came and turned up at your distillery. Your, 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 your vat is overflowing. Let me ask you a question. What good does that do to you if your vat is overflowing? <laughs> what, 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 what good? You tell me. Oh, you're going to get all the marks you can gather and then start filling it up? It'll be all over the place. Are you with me? The fact that when God appears, that your vats will be brimming over, your buns will be filled to the overflowing, that there's not room enough to receive it, it's God telling all of us that you already have more than enough. Now go and be a blessing to others. Are you with me? Because there's really nothing you can do with an overflowing vat. It is your time to be a blessing to others. And so now I establish that money is not the end game. Money is not what we are here for. But instead, money should be a means to an end. 
a means to an end. And I want to talk about the foundational giving of every believer. There are three things that the Bible taught us. Number one is your tithe. Number two is your offering. And number three is a pledge giving, whether to a building or to a specific cause. Yesterday, I was in our church in Bangsa. And as I was walking up the steps, I realized that because it's on the first floor and there's still another floor up, because of the staircase, the, off, the, the space is designed inside. By the way, it's not our building, okay? We are renting a pub, and I like it. Church is in a pub. Yeah, all kinds of people turn up. Fun. Risky, yes. But, but because of the design of the layout, a, a section of the gathering place is cut out. So when I woke up there, and a sudden dawned upon me, oh, I'm really smart. If we move upstairs, we will not have this cut out part. Then there'll be a bigger space. So that was the first thought and as I was walking up to the pub. And then I was worshipping God. Then I saw a children's centre opposite where I was worshipping. Oh, I got an idea. So I walked, because there are two property agents in our Bangsa church. So I walked halfway through worship. Can you imagine how I... I said, hey, come over. Pastor, I want to ask you a question. He thought I got a word of revelation for him, you know, like, oh, pastor got a word from heaven. No, 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 no. Come, 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 come. What happened? How much is a block? Because I know you cannot buy one unit per floor. You have to buy the whole three floors. All right? I said, how much is it? He said, at this going rate right now, with this economy, 8.6 million. You know what? So I, Chinese, ma. How many Chinese? My math's not very good. Lah. You put a dollar sign in front, I count like, like a calculator. You know, oh, 8.6, I say, I thought in my head, I was worshipping God. Can you imagine? I, I confess, I wasn't concentrating. I was worshipping God and I thought 8.6. If I take 7 million loan from the bank, I'm only paying 35,000 a month for instalment. And I thought about it. So I went back to the guy again. Hey, okay. 35,000 a month, correct? Not? Is it correct? Okay, so I went back to worshipping God. Actually, I was just closing my eyes and calculating. 35,000. Have you ever been to Bangsa, the Talawi area? Have you ever seen any of the ground floor shop lot that was left empty? Never! It is such a hot property. One person move out, another person move in. So I went back to the guy. How much downstairs? 25,000. 25,000 rent for downstairs. How much is the rent for first floor? 10,000. Hello? Are you following my story? Do you need to graduate from London School of Economics to know that you are not paying anything per month if you just use the third floor. Money is not the end game. It is a means to an end. If this is the money that we can raise to reach something, you know what? It is not about us wanting to buy a property. It is not us wanting to own something. But do you know how it changes the body language of the people in Bangsa, when you buy a place, the people will know that you're serious. The people will know that you're not just some seasonal guy that turn up for a month or two and then disappear. You, you're serious with what you're doing. I want to see families coming to church. I want to see kids running around. And by the way, 8.6 million for a three-story shop lot in this city. Do you know how much we spend buying this place? 12 million. Guys, 
Can we get some perspective over here? 12 million, we got car park, we got gym, we got futsal, we got hall, we got office over there, just three blocks. And I can only use 1,500 square foot. But it's free. If, if God provides for us, I'm just throwing this in. It's not part of my talk. It's okay. Tithe. Are you nervous? I'm not. The first, let, let's do some biblical history. The first recorded tithing happened in Genesis chapter 14. When Abraham, after he defeated the king of Sodom, he, he saw Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And when he met him, the king brought him, Melchizedek brought him wine and bread. And Abraham, out of his own initiative, gave a tenth of all the spoils to, to Melchizedek. Right? And so, and so that was the first recorded tithing. So tithing, which is the 10%, predates the law. That means before there was a law, Abraham already tithed. So it was not practiced originally as a rule of law. But when Israel was formed as a nation, how was Israel formed? Because Abraham got Isaac, Isaac got Jacob, and then after that, the 12 tribes, it became a nation. How many of you know a relationship between one person to another and a relationship between a leader and a nation is different? Are you all with me? Because this is a country, this is Malaysia. Uh, prior to 2020, you don't need a car seat for your baby. After Jan 1st, you need a car seat with a six-month period before you get summoned. Before it was a law, nobody get a ticket. After it becomes a law, someone, if they are caught by the police, will get a ticket. Are you guys with me this morning? And so, before Israel became a nation, tithing was an act that you initiate yourself. It is something that is out of your own heart. But when it became a nation, tithing became a part of their worship. Tithing became a way how God sustained a community. Are you with me? Because out of the 12 tribes, one tribe doesn't own land. It's the Levites. And so God says a tenth of everything goes to them because they don't own land. This is how you sustain that tribe. Also, you have to tithe to the poor every three years. So God designed tithing in such a way to take care and to the sustenance of a community. Are you with me so far? So in the New Testament, interestingly, Jesus never once talked about tithing except for one moment in a passing statement when he was addressing the Pharisees. He said, you know what? You guys have done the tithing well in the giving of a tenth of your mint and your comment, but you have neglected the weightier things in life, the more important things in life, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Why do you neglect the more important thing and you do the least important? That was what Jesus said. So what shall we do today? Do we still tithe? Do we still give a 10% to God? If I give, what will happen? If I don't give, will I be punished? Let, let's go back to the Bible. Are you okay? Go with me now to Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. Is the air conditioning working? I'm sweating like a... Don't know what... Don't say. A tithe, the Bible says, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, 
belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. So the Bible says, a tithe of everything belongs to God. Alright? This is the Old Testament. So every time we tithe, we acknowledge that all that we have belongs to God. So today, tithing is no longer a rule of law, but rather it is a way of life. It is a way for us to acknowledge God, to acknowledge that all that we have comes from God. A way to express our honour and our gratitude to God and a way for us to say that everything that we own belongs to Him. I want you to know this. If every month we learn to tithe, we learn to give a portion of what we have to God, I want you to know, then your life will begin to be reordered by God. Are you with me? Your life will be reordered by God. So, I shared these stories quite a few times before. Many years ago, about 12 years ago now, was the beginning when I first had my son, Aiton. Um, one night, as my wife was trying to feed my baby, the Lord appeared to me. I, I believe it's the Lord uh, because it cannot be anyone else. And God spoke to me and said, if you want to buy the building as the leader of the church, why don't you set a good example? You give. I said, sure, I will give. So I thought, what do you want me to give, God? God says, give me your income. I said, that's fine. I, I can give you my income. So I gave God my income. And I thought it was one month. God said, no, I don't want my money your income. So how many months do you want, God? So there's this conversation that was happening in my head with my wife sitting on the side of the bed, not knowing what was happening. And three months? I said, God, you want three months? No. Wow, it's a bit stretching now. Why don't you do one year? So, to cut the long, long story short, the one year became two years, the two years became three years, three years became four years. So for four years, I never took a salary from church when I already have a wife and a baby. And many people ask me, how then did you survive? I survived with my wife's salary. So every month, when I know the paycheck came out on the Basama, all right, I say, La Poor, I'm very beautiful today. Can give me some money or not? She'll like, nah, take. So how much you want? Be, then she'll give me some money. La. Depends on her mood. Sometimes she'll give me 500 bucks. Sometimes she'll give me 1,000 bucks. And like a mum, nah, how young? Ah? Don't spend away some money. Ah. Okay, okay, boss. Okay, okay. So I, so I, I live on that. I, I, live, I, I live on that. And, and uh, if I ever go to speak and people give me 500 bucks, you know, I have some money. People give me 1,000 bucks, I have some money. So I, I live with that. But you know what? I think at the back of my mind, I was hoping, lah, hoping one day I can, at the end of the four-year period, I can brag about how sacrificial I had been. I can brag about, you know what? You all say no one can outgive God, but I did. I lived four years without salary. So at the end of the four years, I realized something happened, that I had more money in my bank account than I ever had my whole life. And so, you wonder why. Because in that four-year period, something shifted on the inside of me. I, I used to be very reckless and carefree with my salary. Every time I get my salary, oh, I will, you know, do the right thing first, give a tithe to God religiously, 
without any other intention. Just give 10% to God. And after that, uh, buy things, la, buy dinner, la, spend money. If I ever go to speak and people give me 500 bucks, before I reach airport, finish already. Because then I will buy things for my staff, buy chocolate, la, buy Kropok lah. And if I get a thousand bucks in the love gift, man, I buy even more. I also buy toys for my kids and buy clothes for my wife. And then I always come home with stuff. And my wife is like, why are you buying me scarf? I don't need a scarf. I said, it was at the airport. I don't need... So, so I would spend all my money. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? That very often at the end of the month, most of us have used up all our money. And then when we look back, eh, I also never buy anything. See, I'm a prophet. A prophet that had lived that life before. Two weeks in a month, you already finish all your salary. And then you need your credit card to sustain the next two weeks. And then when your salary come out, you pay your credit card. Now your salary is half. Then you have only two weeks leave to live for the next month. It was my life like that. But in that four years, somehow I realized that since I don't have money with me all the time, I better give my money an assignment. So, I learned how to use Excel. I want you to know, if you think that this is such a key thing, if you have not done it, you better start doing it now. I'm not going to check on you. So, I started doing my Excel. I started to key in my salary. And I started keying in. My wife gave me 1,000, okay? And then uh, I eat my lunch. It dictates how many coffee I can have in a day. Don't like happy, happy latte, morning, latte, afternoon, latte in the evening. I tell you, by the end of the month, you have no more money left. So I learned that. I learned how to manage my money and it has changed my life until today. That I'm still using the same Excel file for the last 12 years or how to manage all the resources that God has entrusted upon me. And I share with you so when I was a student youth exchange program between two churches, and I went to UK about 20, ooh, 25 years ago, oh my God. 25 years ago, I was in the UK. I, I lived in a Christian community home that my job was to serve the youth in the city. And I got 140 quid, 140 pounds a month. And I tell you, it's very little money, even though it's 25 years ago. And you know, when footballers are paying half a million pounds a week, I get 140 pounds a, a month. That's very humbling. I told you before, I will only buy newspaper on a Sunday because it's the thickest spread. If you've never been to the UK, you've never been to London, try buy newspaper on a Sunday. They got gardening, one book. They got recipe, one book. They got whatever like, I need, I don't need, I don't care. I just buy them all because on Sunday, one pound, it will last me one week of reading. And then, and uh, I love Tesco bread because Tesco bread is the cheapest bread because Tesco is kind of a low-end supermarket in the UK. All right, the, the high-end one is called Waitrose. So if you're Atas people, you go Waitrose. If you're Bawa people, then you go Tesco. Tesco, one whole loaf of bread is 20p. Man, I love Tesco bread because it's cheap. I will buy them from the supermarket and put it in my house. And then one season when I was there, there was this mad cow disease. Mad cow disease is bad economy, but good for the missionary. You understand? Some more it rhymes. So I buy because nobody's buying. I say, in the name of God, the Father in heaven, bless all these crazy cow. I buy them all. Like they were throwing the thing all over the supermarket. I was grabbing my trolley and 
carry them home, steak, man. But those days, nobody knows what's Wagyu. Don't know Wagyu. It's just like steak, like two pounds, one pound. I stuffed them as much as my fridge could take. I don't know whether there was side effect of the make cow disease today or not. Maybe there is. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's sosote, you know. But that <laughs> was me. And so one day, seven, eight months into being in the UK, and you know what? I, I'm an opportunist guy in those days. I knew I would never come back to the UK again. I would never come here to study. This is my one chance for glory. I save up all my 140 pounds. So I, I, I try, I only eat chips without fish. You know, 25 years ago, we were still eating fish and chips wrapped by newspaper. I tell you, I could only afford the chips because it's one pound. With fish, it's three pounds. So I just say, I just want the chips, man. No fish. And Wow, on the way home eating my chips, I can still read newspaper. <laughs> oily, uh, oily. I could still read newspaper. And, and that's, that was my life. And one day I go and read the Bible. I want you to know, if you don't want God to speak to you, don't read the Bible. Okay? Alright? And if you're telling me that God is not speaking to you, then you know what happened. Alright, okay, anyway. So I read the Bible. And I read about this part about tithing, to give 10% to God. And, you know, I don't know whether it was really God or just myself, but the whole period of time, the whole week, I, I was just reminded of this. Give your tithe to God. Give your tithe to God. I said, God, I'm a poor missionary. Only 140 pounds a month. You also want to take my 14 pounds? What kind of God is this? Like, can we negotiate a bit? No, I really lay down my life. Pay your tithe. So by the end of the week, God won the struggle and I lost so I calculated all my British pounds even though it was only 3.5 in those days I counted all up and I went to church I am very very certain until today that the lady standing next to me was way richer than me because she rocked up in a way nicer car than mine I walked to church she came in a car and offering in the UK it's not like here with offering bucket they, they, they collect offering on a plate and before it came to me, she gave an offering. It said, pound, ding, it's a coin. Wow. I judged her, man. I tell you, I, you sinner. No, I didn't. I didn't. In my heart, like in my heart. Why God didn't speak to you? Why God speak to me? And I took up this 100 pounds cash and put it on a plate. I don't know when I was sad. I was trying to impress her like, hey, auntie, look. I gave so I was 100 pounds poorer that day because I want to learn to obey God. That afternoon when I came home, a pastor from York, up north, a place I wanted to go see, his name was Cannon Allen Byrne. I never met him. I don't know who he was, but because he knew the pastors that I was with in my church in Sabah. And he called me and said, are you Kevin? I said, yes, I'm Kevin. I, 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 are you the one from Sabah? I said, yes, I'm the one from Sabah. Oh, it took me a while to find your phone number. I said, yes, pastor. What did I do wrong? You know, I didn't say that. You know, and uh, I just want you to know, the Lord spoke to me this morning when I was in church, that there's a kid somewhere in the UK, came from Sabah. He really wanted to go for a holiday, but he didn't have enough money. So I want to send you some money so that you can come and visit me in York and enjoy a holiday with us. You know what? I don't even remember how York looks like. I don't remember what I ate. It wasn't about the holiday. The tithing, it was not about the blessing. 
to me, it was very important that I realized that God was real for me. I can go to York anytime I want now. How many of you know holidays will not change your life? How many of you know buying more cars and more houses or whatever, it doesn't change your life? But it is that obedience to that voice of God in me that I realized that my Father in heaven is real. And the story how I spent all my money to buy a silly mobile phone called Nokia 8210. I spent 2,300 ringgit to buy that phone because the case could change color. That was how high technology those days were. So you can take out the red color cover and put in a matte black. You got mini phone, huh? You got, you know? And, and I was just rebuked in my heart that I spent so much money on a phone. So I told the church, not this church, my former church, I said, hey, I'm going to, you know, the Lord rebuilt me. I'm going to sell my phone. Whoever wants to buy it, come and talk to me after the service. I tell you, I was the smartest pastor in the world. It's an altar call that I don't want people to respond. I immediately went home so that nobody can find me, so that nobody can buy my phone. I went home. As I got home, a lady came to my door and she knocked at the door, said, Pastor. I said, yes, why are you here? You never come to my house. Yeah, I want to buy your phone. I'm like, say, Tai Pao. I went to my room and packed the phone and gave it to her because God told us to buy your phone. I said, you sure same God or not? <laughs> Reluctantly, I gave her the phone and she gave me 1,000 ringgit. I said, you know what? I want to keep my promise. This 1,000 ringgit belongs to God. I'm going to give to God. I said, okay. Oh, by the way, Pastor, before we go, I want to tell you something. God did not just told us, did not just tell us to buy your phone. God say, after we buy your phone, we have to give you back because that's what God told us. So I got my phone back and I gave the money to God. You know what? The phone can never change your life. Are you all with me? In as much as a car or a house will never change your life. But that moment on, I knew that God is real, that my encounter with God is real. And then in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In the New Testament standard, now God is looking for cheerful givers. Romans 12, verse 6 to verse 10. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. And if it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Then, the New Testament standard now is generosity. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but that the law through him might be fulfilled. John 3, 16, the Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave one of his angels to die on a cross for us. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his chief angels to die. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. To God, the expression of love is always giving his very best to us. John 15 and verse 13, probably the diff most difficult verse in the New Testament. It says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. The ultimate level of giving in the New Testament is the giving of your life. Jesus up the giving game. So now, when you realize this, tithing is not your ceiling. Tithing 
is your base. Tithing is our starting point where we learn to give to God what belongs to Him. And finally, number three, and with this I close. So stay with me. Giving a pledge or giving to the building of the house of God. If you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, there was this story of King David. They save up all his treasury of gold and silver and bronze and precious jewels and stones and wood and everything. So he saved them all up because he wanted to build God a temple. He wanted to build God's house. So he saved it all up and he told the people, all that I've saved, I want to give to the building of the house of God. But you know what? He was the king. He didn't need to do that. He could have just increased the tax and asked the people, you give, not me, because I'm the king. He said, no, I will give out of my own savings, out of my own treasury. The people were so inspired by him. The Bible says the people gave willingly to the house of God. And then in verse 14, it says, but who am I, David says, and who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. After he gave everything to God, he said, who am I? Who are my people? What, what am I that I can give so much to God? And then he realized this, the revelation that he experienced is that everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. As a result, giving all his treasury to build the house of God, David realized, you know what? No big deal. After all, all this is God. It is like yesterday we were in Bangsa. Kaysen asked me, Pastor, how much money you give to your son for a week for pocket money? You know what? I really wish he never asked me. I felt so bad and my son is here. And by the way, I'm not increasing your allowance anyway. And I said, I said, I give him 10 bucks. Whoa! 10 bucks a day? I said, 你就想, 10 bucks a week? What? You only, yeah. That's all I gave my son. Can you imagine, I give my son 10 ringgit a week, and then at the end of the week, he gave me, ba, nah, one ringgit, tithe back to you. Yeah, big deal. It's my 10 bucks in the first place. You realize? It's of God's. It all belongs to God. It is God giving you a privilege, a chance to express your worship and your giving. And this Kaysen just kept telling us stories yesterday. He said when he was younger, all he wanted from his mom was 20 cents because 20 cents was what it cost to buy a packet of mummy. How many of you love mummy growing up? Mummy, you know, you love the, the, the powder, powder. You open the powder, you, you know, there are two types of mummy eaters, okay? The first type is eat the whole thing one. You want it perfect so that you can bite it. The second type of eater, you want to crush it. And then you, uh, then you, if you're a Malay school like me, you put ketchup, you put chili sauce. Best life. Best life. Some of these things money cannot buy. So Kaysen said, he will ask mom for 20 cents so they can go to school and buy mummy. When he grew up, and he started work. Every month when he get his salary, salary, he will give money back to his mother. And he said that. He said, my mom didn't need my money. But it is my way of telling my mom that I love her. And so he gave money to the mom every month. God doesn't need our money. 
if some of us think this church will die if I don't give, I don't, I think you, you look at yourself too highly already. God doesn't need us. The church will go on no matter what. Are you all with me? But it is a, an opportunity for us to be a part of showing our love to God. And what happened to King David was this, that giving reshaped his heart. I alone cannot do anything. I alone cannot build this place. It is our collective giving that makes this vision a reality. My giving cannot buy anything in Bangsa, but it's our collective giving that caused us to be able to dream the possibility of owning a space in Bangsa that we can call our own, that families can come to church, kids can grow up in the faith and in the fear of God. I, I, I want to show you this video because when you come to church every week, sometimes it is just coming to service. There are a lot of things happening behind the scene. And this year, I want you to know our church, you guys are so ready to go out. Last week, so many people came to talk to Dr. Andrew. Can we be a part of a mission trip? Can we be a part of this work or that work? We are supposed to achieve 2020 our Wawasan Doplu Doplu, right? And all the Nilai Nilai Murni that you have to write to graduate from your SPM. Uh, we want to talk about all these values, but actually off my home, there are people that are living without lights, living without clean water. There are people dying of cholera today because they think it's fate from God that they die because they are sick. Little did they know, all they need is just proper sanitization of their water. We, we are blessed. We live in the city. We, at a flick of a button, we can turn on the lights, at the flick of a, turn a tap, clean water comes out. We want to do more. But we have, we, have a, we have this thing that we have to pay up for this building. We needed to raise 2.4 million this year. That 2.4 million is very important because it actually eats up 120,000 a month of our monthly expenses to pay off the loan. So I want, to, I want to ask us to clear. I can't clear that myself. I want to ask every one of us, whether you've pledged before, you've given before, I want to ask us to take this time to really prayerfully and consider how much you can give to help us nail this once and for all so that we can go. I, I asked Dr. Andrew to sit in front here today. Can, can Dr. Andrew, can you stand up? Come on, let's give Dr. Andrew a big hand. Where's Caris? Caris, are you here? Dr. Andrew's wife. I think they are somewhere outside with baby Natalie. This guy's a medical doctor and he told me he wanted to become a church staff to do mission. And you know what? We've come to a place in our church life. This guy got big dreams. And I think as a pastor, I want to be a pastor that helped him realize his dream. He wants to open a medical center. Well, clinic, clinic. We start from clinic. He wants, he wants to rent a space where the doctors in our church will take turns to work there. Whether you are a gynae, a psychiatrist, or orthopedic, uh, pediatrician, so he will roster doctors to work there so that we can provide healthcare that is the best but without paying off the roof to meet a doctor. We, we want to be able to have a pharmacy there, a full-fledged legal pharmacy that can, dis, that can dispense prescribed medication. I, I want to do this. This is, 
You don't get doctors giving up their job, earning tens of thousands of dollars to work in church. And I want to see that it is happening. That our church is not just about us having nicer screen or nicer lights, but to really make an impact and put a dent in our generation. I, I, I want to tell you, if I'm by myself, what can I do? How to, how to rent a shop lot? How to get doctors? That's why we need one another. And so I want to challenge you. I want to ask you. I want to inspire you this year. We have way more work of putting lights and clean water to all these villages. Sabah is not another country. Sabah is a part of this beautiful land that God has given to us. And, and, and over Christmas, we saw Danny and Ellie came. I don't want them to just, you know, we install lights so that they can read, but they still cannot read. Why? Because nobody taught them. We, we want to send in teachers to teach them. I don't want mission work to be something that makes us feel good. Oh, I'm so good, I gave. I want mission work to be something that is really transforming a community. So let's shift in the way we give. So if you see the pledge card, there's a blue color part and an orange color part. The blue color part, it's for you to keep. So you tear it up. Okay? So it says, I so-and-so pledge X amount of money in 2020 to eliminate that loan. So in this other card, this is a card that you give it back to our church. You fill up your name, your contact number, your email. The pledge season is only for six months. So if you're pledging a thousand ringgit a month, over six months, then the total amount will be 6,000. I don't know, some of you maybe never pledged before. Maybe you want to learn by pledging 500 a month. Some of you maybe you want to learn by pledging I don't know, maybe more. Some of you can give more. And I want us to just learn to do this together as a church family. Is that okay?